Divorce in and of itself is not what's detrimental to kids, but conflict is. Married or divorced, it doesn't matter. If there's high conflict, it impacts your children. Co-parenting requires patience and work, and sometimes even biting your tongue. But it's so important because it's about your child's emotional and mental health. My guest today has dedicated her life to helping parents, and she offers some no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is advice. Let's get to it. The Happy Even After Podcast. The Happy Even After Podcast. Divorce sucks, but it doesn't need to define you, and it doesn't need to be the end of your story. The Happy Even After Podcast. Meet your host, Renee Bauer, an award-winning divorce attorney, peacemaker, author, and founder of The D Course, an online divorce educational program. She's been doing this work for almost two decades, and she is passionate about helping all women make it out the other side. The Happy Even After Podcast. Let's jump in. Hi there. I am with KCN Fabish today. KCN has dedicated her career to helping families. She has a master's in counseling and has worked with parents at risk of losing custody of their children. She was the lead clinician of the family support team, helping high-risk kids in state and foster care. She also provided supervised visitation, home services, and parent coaching for DCF. And 10 years ago, she opened her private practice at Compass Counseling and Family Services, doing work as a co-parent counselor, which sometimes includes testifying in court for high-conflict custody cases. So welcome, Casey. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So the work that you're doing is so important. And often someone going through a divorce needs a service um, that the lawyer really isn't equipped to provide. And that's where you come in and often attorneys will send their cases to you to assist as a co-parent counselor. Can you explain what a co-parent counselor is and does? Sure. So what co-parenting counseling does is it allows parents the opportunity to talk about what's in the best interest of their children in a neutral environment. And when appropriate, my role can be to provide guidance and input from my experience in working with children and families and how children develop so that they're looking forward rather than spending time looking backwards on how their marriage failed or their relationship failed and really trying to keep it focused on the parenting piece and not the relationship, the intimate relationship piece. And with your work, do you often find that the anger and resentment and emotions they might have about their spouse carries into their parenting? Yes. So what uh, one of the exercises that I typically do with co-parenting clients is sort of a reflective exercise that are they reacting or responding as a result of their experience because of their relationship versus their experience as parents. And while those will always cross over, I mean, I think it's not reasonable to think that relationships will never have conflict, but that a parenting relationship can really come to a place where there is not, you you don't have to have a lot of conflict. If you try to put the Um, the anger and the resentment and whatever caused the fallout of the marriage or the relationship aside and work on that individually, then we have had parents that can really move forward. 
And so what if someone is so hung up on how they feel like they've been wronged in their marriage and if it's infidelity or something like that, can they really move past those emotions in order to co-parent effectively? So I have had cases over the years where I try very hard to make an effort to either redirect if that comes up and try to stay focused on the parenting piece, but there are people that do require their own intensive individual work to address those issues prior to really being able to effectively co-parent or participate in co-parent therapy. So we, I have had cases where I've had a couple of sessions and then I, I've said to attorneys or to the parents themselves, you're not candidates right now hmm. because you have your own stuff that you have to work out. So you have to come up with something that's planful now just to get through the, the exchanges, how you're going to communicate and things like that. But to actually have a co-parent communication, there are some couples that just are not candidates for it in the moment. And what type of work do they have to do in order to become candidates? Because I'm imagining that if those are the, if those people are getting kicked out of co-parent counseling, where do they go from there? So my recommendation has always been that they seek their own individual therapy and that they stop for a minute and reflect back on that divorce and separation are difficult for everyone. So as much as they may want to blame the other parent and don't think they need the help, you're still going through a divorce. That's difficult. Everyone would find that difficult. So I always recommend that they seek their in, an individual therapist. I always assist in helping them find one that I think would be a good fit because I do think that divorce and separation will also trigger, I have found in some couples, things that may have happened to them when they were a kid or if their own parents were divorced that they sort of packed away and put in a box and they mm -hmm. thought they were going to get on and have their happy family. And then when their happy family breaks down, it brings all that stuff back up. Right. It's always our parents' fault, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. It's always someone else's fault. So, right. <laughs> so, I mean, that, yeah. that, that you just raised a really good point. So that's often such a hard thing to swallow is that someone you may have a role in the breakdown of your marriage. And so often it's easy to blame the other spouse. Mm -hmm. What do you do with that? So it's very easy, like you said, to blame the other person. And what I always go back to is that reflective exercise that I often start co-parenting with, which is, are there areas of conflict between the two of you um, that are based in your spousal relationship as opposed to your parenting relationship? And what I will do is instead of having them talk that out, I actually ask them to draft it and write it. And because a lot of times when people write things down, it just starts to come out. Uh -huh. And then share that with me alone, individually, that send that to me separately in an email. It's not going to be part of the group. And then the other thing that I do is my style. I mean, I'm empathetic and I, you know, I try to be as comforting as possible to people when they're going through this, but I, my style is also not to really sugarcoat things. Uh -huh. So if after a couple of sessions, I have a, a husband or a wife that continue to say things like, I'm owning my stuff, but mm. you know, you're not owning yours. That's a very typical comment that gets made. I will get a little tough and I will, you know, there is part of counseling is, is to know when to input confrontation. 
And so I will sort of confront that client on, you know, you keep saying that, but your actions are doing something else. Interesting. And then often I will get people that will say, oh, you're right. I didn't even realize that that's how I sounded or that's what I said. And then the other thing that I will do is there are, while it's co-parenting and we're supposed to be meeting with them together, I do assess in some cases that we do need a couple of individual sessions to prepare for the initial co-parenting. Okay. Is there a common theme of what you're seeing when when parents come to you? You know, parents who can agree or if they're mediating, a lot of times they don't Mm -hmm. need your services and they can work it out. But you're, you're seeing people who are really having a hard time and they need support in another way. So do you see a common theme of what people are coming to you with in terms of what disagreements they have over parenting? So the common theme that I typically see is often over time the time that they each get with their child and making it more of a competition versus a agreeable, like, okay, so this week you had little Johnny four days and next week I have him four days. Like that seems to be a common theme that gets emotions elevated, people in like texting battles with each other. You dropped them off five minutes earlier. You dropped them off, you know, too late there seems to be a theme of parents feeling like they need to compete for their child's attention Mm. um, rather than recognizing that their child, if they can get along, will love both of them. Right. I mean, don't you see that? It's kind of a common thing with you have this term of like a Disneyland parent and the fun parent, the one parent buying a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff for the kids. I do this exercise with, are you reacting or responding? And when a parent feels like they're in competition with the other parent, they often react. So you'll get things like, well, this is why they only want to be with you because you buy them everything. Ah. Or this is why they don't want to be with you because look how you treat me. Versus, okay, so at dad's, they get a little spoiled and you can't afford that. But you can appropriately communicate that. Well, listen, I don't have as much money as dad or I don't have as much money as mom. So you, when you go to dad, you get to play with that big, house he put in the backyard. And if kids are told honestly things like that, they are better off than trying to hide it all. And so, all right, this is a great great thing that you bring up is how much should parents be sharing with kids? And should we be talking to them like adults? Yeah. So you don't want to talk to them like adults, but you don't want to also misinform. For example, if there is a separation or divorce due to infidelity, what you don't want is the kid coming to mom's house or dad's house. And then the other parent says, well, if your mom wasn't with, you know, so-and-so and making it about that person mm. where they really need to know, no, mom and I are not going to be living together anymore. Or dad and I are not going to be living together anymore. But the end result is we love you. You will be safe. Right. But when, when we make it about, the other things, that's the information that kids should not know. They don't need to know mom cheated on dad when they're 10 years old. Right. And then that person becomes the bad guy or vice versa. Do you suggest that um, often as divorce lawyers, we get the question of how do we tell the kids? Do we do it together? What's the best way? Do you have any advice about that? I do. So I will often get calls just to do a consultation for that. And I'm happy to take those calls because I think it depends on how the parent, if the parents are in a place that they can sit together 
and tell their children that they're separating or getting divorced and sort of map out what they're going to say without placing blame on the other. I do not recommend that when it's parents that have impulse control issues when they speak and that they may not realize and then suddenly the kids can tell because their face is turning red or mom may say something or dad may say something and the other parent shoots over and gives the eye daggers. Right. Um, so I think if parents can say, listen, mom and dad are getting divorced. You know, we haven't been getting along lately, but we still love you. But knowing what the plan is, you are going to stay here and live in this house with whatever parent. And this is the parent that's leaving because kids do best when they know what to expect. Mm. So if you're going to sit down and tell me you're getting divorced, but you have no idea what the next steps are going to be, I would wait until you at least know what those next steps are going to be. Okay. All right. So you have a plan, you know, what's happening with the house or, you know, what the schedule. Yeah. Is. And it doesn't have to be the long plan, but at least, yeah. you know, like, cause the kids are going to walk away. Like, well, are we staying in this house or am I going to live with mom? Am I going to live with dad? Listen, right. we're going to spend time with mom and dad. Dad's staying in the house and mom's going to go live with grandma. Hmm. And this is how we're going to see each other. So if you have at least those basics and you can have that conversation with your kids briefly without getting upset with each other, perfect. But like I said, we, we, I'm happy. I have had many calls that come in and it's just a phone consultation free of charge. We we're going to sit down and talk with, with our kids tonight about getting divorced. Um, here's our current situation. Do you have any suggestions on what we can say? Okay. Interesting. What about the schedule itself? Because I often, this is such a point of contention and someone feels like there's too much back and forth or, mm -hmm. and sometimes you have a suggestion of a week on week off, which I personally mm -hmm. hate, but any input as to the impact of what a schedule actually is? So I think that the schedule is dependent on the child's age, as well as, you know, how they are adapting to the transitions. I recently had a case where uh, one of the parents thought if they have a toddler, and they wanted to exchange the child every day. And I was absolutely, I don't recommend that. That's so many transitions that if you, you could either split the week or I think is always a good opportunity. I think to withhold a parent from a child, I agree with your comment before, for an entire seven days physically is, mm. I, I don't recommend that either. I think the either split weeks or the schedule, especially as kids get into middle school and high school, they really... I have found prefer to be sleeping the school week at one place. Um, they really don't like, at least we have seen here in my practice, that kids start to get anxiety probably from 11 and up when they got to do this a lot of back and forth mm -hmm. because they, and that's when they're really developing friendships and neighborhoods. Right. So it really is sort of child specific. And I, I like to say it should be fluid as the child grows. Mm. Um, but if the parents can develop a good co-parenting relationship up front, then that shouldn't be an issue. It shouldn't right. be an issue if the parent calls the other parent and says, hey, listen, I got an opportunity to take them to my friend's cabin next weekend. Can we switch weekends? I have cases now where that's a huge fight. Right. Why? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't you want your kid to go and have yes. the opportunity to have yes. some fun? Ah, this is such a, a hot topic because we're going into summer and yes. this is when the phone calls from old clients start pouring in mm -hmm. because of the disagreement over summer vacation. And yeah. I can't tell you like the number of, of people are, will get hung up on vacation is supposed to be 
you know, this day to this day and not take two right. weekends. But if you're renting a house and it's Saturday to Saturday, yeah. like what's the harm? Who is it harming? And yet it's this ongoing conflict. It's an ongoing conflict. And in the end, I will say to people, your kids are having the opportunity to have fun. So is this really, again, about you mm-hmm. or about your children? Right. And a lot of times it's, it's an easy switch. Yeah. It's an easy switch. But there is always one parent I have found in a co-parenting relationship that struggles with giving up a level of almost like giving in. They look at it like giving in. Mm -hmm. And I still will say, does this go back to your spousal relationship versus you co-parenting? We'll be back just after this message. If you are feeling confused and overwhelmed by the divorce process, the D course can help. This video course will educate and empower you to make the best decisions for your future. Taught by an experienced divorce attorney, you will learn everything you need to move forward into your next chapter. Head on over to www.thedecourse.com for more information. You do not have to do this alone. And so how do you respond to that? Um, I mean, what if you do have that one parent who just is time and time again really stuck on that and can't let go of it? Can those two parents ever have any chance of a successful co-parenting relationship? Probably not. And a lot of times I will say, I can't help you any more than what I'm doing now. I'm suggesting to you, yes, switch the weekends. You don't want to listen to you. I don't have the magic wand to say you have to say yes or he has to say no. Right. But I would suggest for your kids' sake, okay, so they get to spend two extra days in Vermont or wherever. Why is that affecting you? It's because he's getting more time. Right. You're not looking at it like your kids are having fun for two more days. Right. And those are the parents. I actually have a set now that I work with and I have said to that mom many times, I'm not sure what else I can do to help. Right. And courts can't fix this either because it's no. often then we'll go back to court. Well, what do you want a judge to do with this? Mm-hmm. You know, and it's about just being reasonable and flexible and open. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the framework for successful co-parenting, I think. Yeah, I have a, a family that I work with and they don't come for co-parenting. I see their children, but they co-parent so well. I have said to them so many times, you guys should write a book. Mm-hmm. Or you should be, you should hold like groups or forums. I mean, it's to the point they both have new spouses. There are mixed families with mixed kids, mm-hmm. but they, the primary parents still are in charge of their children. They share a calendar on yep. their phones where they put their kids appointments in. They all know who's doing what, when it's also the new spouses that come in and mixed families that come in. If there's no jealousy happening that these are the two parents that are in charge of their kids. They have a shared calendar on their phones and they work it out. Right. I mean, that's my ex and I too, because we have yeah. actually, uh, hopefully he'll come on as a guest for this. Yeah. He's a little yeah. skeptical, probably <laughs> for a good reason. But yeah, I mean, it's my, so my son's 14 now. He was two when I got divorced and he is, you know, so well adjusted and we're yeah. able to switch things up and, and train mm-hmm. off and figure it out. And he's a teenager. And, you know, yeah. when you get the older you get, the more flexibility is just required because of his own schedule. Right. He's, he's got a social life now. He right. And that's what I find is I'll get co-parents that get mad at each other 
And it's really, you have a 14 year old boy who wants to hang out with his friends on Saturday. He doesn't want to go to dad's or mom's or whatever. What I try to recommend to parents is if you let them do that and then you call them on Tuesday and say, Hey, let's go grab a hot dog. Let's go to the movie coming out or whatever. They're going to say yes. Right. Right. And I think people forget that they can be a support to you. So there have been so many times that like I've needed to call up my son's dad and say, Hey, I have to work late or can Mm -hmm. we switch a day because I have something going on or I'm being held over and I'm not going to be able to get to the school at at time. Can you call your mom or your dad to help? And I mean, it's a support system. So it's not someone to work against. It's someone to work with. Yeah. You just made a very good point because I find that it's working against each other. When, yeah. when they get to my office, they're working against each other. Yeah. Oh, that's I so don't sad. get the referrals of the people that are getting along well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> what about blended families? Because that does bring in a whole nother set of challenges and dynamics. And any advice as to for step parents in setting boundaries and rules for them? Yeah, so I recommend and I have found it to be helpful is that if there are blended families involved, that they actually get involved in the counseling and therapy process, that if they're whether it's co parenting, because I, you know, I will get referrals for co parenting, but then I may assess after a couple of sessions, like, hey, I think we should bring in the other spouse or even the kid and have a family therapy session. It doesn't mean we're shutting the door on co parenting. But What I try to do is look at the whole picture and then decide, okay, there might be other players here that would be helpful to have sessions with. And I think if they can all get involved and then everybody's on the same page, it really does make for a much more cohesive communication style for everyone. Do you have any hard and fast rules of what absolutely should not be happening with step parents and and boundaries and things like that? Yeah, so one of the the hard and fast rule, I think, in general, but especially with step parents is making any negative comments about the other parent. So well, if your dad knew how to do this, or if your mom knew how to do this, or well, if your dad would have just switched weekends with us, we would have been able to go, you know, to Las Vegas or whatever. So making anything negative is but again, that's also a hard and fast rule, I say, to the parents who may not have new spouses yet. You don't say negative things about the other. And then the other thing is if it's a new blended family and they don't have things established is that one of the conversations that really needs to happen with all parties is what discipline looks like. Because when kids think that their parents may not communicate or may not get along, they're at a higher risk of manipulation. Oh, yeah. So and we see that. So it would be one kid coming home dad and saying, Oh, you know, mom's new boyfriend slapped me or Mm. and it may not have been that. So I think that when new spouses get involved, one of the, the biggest conversations that needs to happen is what does discipline look like? Because if that conversation doesn't happen, and then the new spouse disciplines the child. I've even had it where it was not discussed. So say I had a new spouse and he disciplined my son and then I didn't expect him to. And now I'm yelling at him 
Like you don't have the right to do that. Right. Because we never discussed it. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, you're getting ahead of a potential problem. Right. Because it becomes, that becomes one of the, the largest issues that I have seen, even in just seeing some individual kids we see who are parts of blended families mm. is how the step parent interacts with them. Oh, so interesting. What are the consequences if parents really can't put aside their emotions and it impacts the kids in some way? What type of long lasting effects can it have on them? So kids whose parents who have chronic, you know, parental conflict, especially high conflict, they're often linked to having increased aggression, not really being able to attain academic performance because they're in school and they're thinking about the fight they heard last night or whether or not dad's going to get mad because he wants to go to mom's today. So academic attainment, aggression, and then it will impact their ability on future relationships and what that looks like for them because they will have poor interpersonal skills because as we know, kids, kids watch what we're doing. Right. And I mean, that happens to me every day now that I'm home with my son all, all the time. He'll say things and I'm like, Oh my God, he sounds just like me. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that that's really important. They're always watching us no matter their age. So if we're not able to demonstrate positive interpersonal skills and being able to problem solve, then they're going to lack the ability to problem solve, especially if they are part of frequent fighting and parental conflict. Right, right. So what about the the idea that divorce is in and of itself is damaging to kids because sometimes you'll hear parents say well they stayed together for the sake of the kids even though it was a horrible relationship and mm-hmm. there was fighting and all of that in the house but for the sake of the kids because the divorce in and of itself would have been more harmful i don't actually agree with that statement right um yeah they no i, I didn't say it for you to agree yeah. to. <laughs> so um there are actually positive outcomes for divorce. So tell me. (laughs) So kids who are staying in a home where their parents are either not communicating or fighting all of the time or self-medicating with substance abuse, alcoholism, because it's easier to come home and get drunk rather than deal with the family. um, Those all have, the same negative impacts as that divorce. So for those kids, the positive would be resilience, Mm -hmm. that while mom and dad problem solve this, they realize they don't belong together. And they're separating. I have had several memorable sessions with children who have been thrilled that their parents decided to get divorced. Wow. Because they have great relationship with mom, great relationship with dad, but they hate being home with them together. Oh, interesting. Are they typically older kids or younger? I haven't had really young kids tell me that, but I've had kids probably eight and up to teenagers. I've had a teenager over the course of my practice in, you know, the last 10 years that said to me, I've been waiting for this for so long. Wow. So it's not the divorce. We are debunking that fallacy Mm -hmm. that divorce in and of itself damages kids. It's the conflict, right? It's the conflict. Yeah. Yeah. Because even the divorce, so the divorce itself, if it goes smoothly and 
there's no conflict, those kids are actually going to be better off than the kids that stay in a marriage or stay with parents who are staying in a marriage that are fighting every day. Yeah. Right. Because now you're looking at just an adjustment period and then they can get resilient and move on. So when does somebody like you step into the process when you're at the beginning of the divorce, when they're through the divorce, where can you help them? So where we get the referrals now here at my practice is typically when the parents have already filed for divorce and they are unable to communicate and work out some of the things that have nothing to do with the legal piece, like property and finances and mm -hmm. things like that. So we will get, re I will get referrals either from the parents or from attorneys or GALs. And then the other place that I'm getting the referrals is now is after parents have been divorced for many years and their kids are growing up and they need to rethink their parenting plan ah. or something happens and they end up back in family relations court and then family relations is sending them like you guys need to go work this out this isn't something that a judge needs to be figuring out for you mm -hmm. however what I think would be helpful is if Co-parenting counseling, even if it's just a couple of sessions, became part of the initial stages of divorce. Yeah, right. Prior to the conflict really becoming very difficult, if they're able to work things out in the beginning and have those hard conversations, then they have some control over what life will be like moving forward versus having someone else decide. Right. It should be part of the process. So in Connecticut, the state that both Casey and I are in, there's parenting education class, but that is a group class. Mm -hmm. So I think what you're talking about is just this individual sessions to really mm -hmm. help the parents figure out co-parenting so they don't end up back in court and right. back in the conflict. Yeah. So really, they can be using someone like you rather than even going to court. So if it's post-divorce and something comes up and there's a disagreement, before they run to lawyers or file any motions, they should be picking up the phone and calling someone like you to help them work those things out without having to get the lawyers involved. Because most of those issues are not legal issues. Right. And what I have found is that seems to be a trend that prior to this COVID-19 stuff happening, that has seems to be a trend, at least in the New Haven County Superior Court family stuff, is I have found in some agreements that end up getting entered into court is that the first step, if another issue occurs, is not to mm -hmm. go back to court, that there's actually like a, a statement in the agreement that says that they return to me first before. Right, right. And then if I can't be helpful, or if I recommend that they go back to court, right, um, but that the first level becomes comes back here versus people filing motions back and forth. Right. So what are your top tips to co parent effectively? Okay, so my top tips to parent effectively, I actually wrote them down. So I'm going to just refer to them so I don't forget, is that you have to make the choice to be a, a good co-parent, that it's not easy and that you have to make the choice and respond versus react, that you have to respect yourself and respect your ex as a parent. You may not respect them as a person. I mean, I've had people that say to me, I think, you know, they're a horrible human being. Okay, but they're still your child's parent. Right. Um, so you have to respect your ex as a parent and then respect your children because they deserve to have both of their parents involved. Keeping a regular schedule for the most part works, but being flexible and then talking 
there's this whole thing about our family wizard, texting, email, because everything mm -hmm. needs to be documented. But I think that at some point, at least in my practice, I like to try to get parents to the place where they can pick up the phone and talk to each other. Yeah. Because with texting and email, the burden is on the reader. Mm -hmm. So I may send you something and depending on your mood of the day, you may take it a different way than I meant. Right. Be a team, pick your battles, not everything. Okay. So two socks came back versus four. Okay. Get another pair of socks. I don't, you know, like pick your battles, be respectful of each other's values. I think that it's okay. There's this whole methodology of that. Both houses have to mimic the same they, they should be the same. Yes, that would be ideal, but it's okay for kids as long as they know what to expect. Okay, these are the rules at dads. These are the rules at moms. Right. Give your ex the benefit of the doubt. This is where the kids, um, especially older kids, are very good at manipulating if they know their parents aren't speaking to each other. So they may come and say something that may not be true. So give your ex the benefit of the doubt and have a conversation if there's something you're concerned about. And don't give up. All right. That is great advice. And my final question is, how can someone reach out to you and find you and pull you into their team to help them co-parent? Okay. So um, you can call our office at 203-691-5804. Um, you can find us on Facebook. I'm always posting little comments or recommendations for things at Compass Counseling and Family Services. LLC, or we're also on psychologytoday.com slash Casey Ann Fadish. Perfect. Thank you so much, Casey Ann. This was Thank you. great information. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's a wrap. Link up with us at MsReneeBauer.com. Remember to rate and review and share with anyone you think might find this episode helpful. You can change your story and live happy even after.